You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. Well, it's appropriate today that we're talking about the proper use of emotions because Kylie and I are actually in Albany, New York, trying to get pregnant. We've been through infertility for five years and we're here uh, at an IVF clinic trying to work our way into expanding our family. So as you can imagine, for the past five years, it's been an emotional roller coaster. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about emotions. What do emotions have to do with organizational culture? How do the way that we handle emotions, the way that we approach emotions, the way that we respond to emotions uh, impact how we operate in a community? So to start off, I think what makes sense is to ask this question. Are my emotions anybody else's business? We're talking about organizational culture and how to operate within a community, how to build a structure and a culture within an organization, which includes families, institutions, all types of different things. But emotions are so personal. They're so individual. Uh, are they anyone else's business? Does it matter how I'm operating in my emotions or how my coworker is? And the answer is uh, yes and no. I mean, your emotions are your own. They are valuable. But the way in which each of us stewards our emotions impacts how we operate as a community. And as we'll talk through this episode, one of the key things is the way that the community responds uh, or talks about emotions creates a framework for each individual actor within that organization. So in that sense, the way that we talk about emotions, the way we frame emotions has a huge impact on how we operate as a organization. So the first thing that I want to say about emotions is that um, when we're talking about this, I'm going to be talking about it through the lens of self-stewardship. It is so easy when we talk about things like emotions for you or me to hear this or to, or to think about it and immediately go to, yeah, you know, Shelly at work really should be doing better with her emotions. Or, yeah, Robbie in, down the hall really struggles with this and should hear this message. These things are about self-stewardship, but we so easily try to um, try to put our self-stewardship off on other people. It's much easier for us to walk around kind of judging our co-workers rather than focusing on what does it look like to steward my own emotions well. Because as I said, emotions are very personal. And so everybody that's going through emotions are going through them for different reasons and, and going through them in different ways. And we assume a lot when we try to project our own self-stewardship onto others. That being said, there are ways that we can, as an organization, um, support one another. There are ways in which we can utilize emotions effectively, not just in our self-stewardship, but within the community at large. And so this this episode is sort of cheekily titled, Neither Idle or Idiot, because I think one of the problems with emotions is that we run to one of those two extremes. We either treat emotions as completely useless, or we treat them as the key to everything. And so what we can do within our organization is create a framework that gives emotions their proper 
do, no more and no less. And when we create that kind of framework, that kind of culture, that kind of structure within our organization, it allows for a wide variety of personal expression of emotions. It allows for uh, a wide variety of of how people uh, interact with their emotions and how they process through them, but with a framework that can help to usher us towards that shared mission that we have together. So I've been talking a lot already, but let's let's start um, getting into the meat of this with just what are emotions? What are they? You know, emotions are an ever-present part of the day. Uh, it is 11 o'clock in the morning, and I have not seen any human other than Kylie. I haven't left the Airbnb we're in. I'm literally still in my pajama pants, but I've already been through a gambit of emotions. Um, I woke up, you know, worried that the clinic was going to call and tell us was something something was wrong. I felt relieved when they didn't, or they haven't so far. I feel hopeful about our pregnancy. I felt excited, nervous about this podcast episode. Emotions are are this kind of ever present reality. It's such an important part of what it means to be a human being. So what are emotions? How do we navigate them and how do they affect the organizations to which we belong? The best illustration I can think is that emotions are alarm clocks. Emotions are are meant to awaken us, to to alert us, to uh, shake us out of our malaise, our apathy. They're a way to kind of scream, hey, you, pay attention. Something important is going on. Uh, and there's some challenges about that that we'll get into as we move along. But but I think at a, on a base level, that's what emotions are. They are this big blinking light um, that lets you know that something important needs to be addressed. And so if we think of, a, of that metaphor, emotions as alarm clocks, there's really two ways that we can mess this up. The first is if your alarm clock goes off and you ignore it, that's going to be problematic. Uh, it, it's going to continue to be just louder and kind of drive you crazy. You're going to not be very productive. You're not going to be able to go about your day because uh, this thing is just blaring in your head. And as much as you try to ignore it, you can't really ignore your noise of your alarm clock. The same thing is true from your emotions. You can pretend that that you're not feeling them. You can pretend that, that you can just go about your day and set them aside But if we try to ignore our emotions, uh, things become problematic very quickly because they're not really going away. They are telling you you need to pay attention. And if you aren't paying attention, they're going to keep telling you that you need to. And they're going to get increasingly louder and increasingly desperate to get that message across. The second problem that we can run across with this idea of emotions as an alarm clock is that we become fixated on it. So instead of ignoring it, we take it around with us. We sort of make it an idol. Uh, we uh, we try to just incorporate that the noise of the alarm clock as if it's this essential part of our day and we can't do anything without it. And it, it in a way, it's the same problem as ignoring it it's it's a it becomes a distraction uh, it undermines our ability to produce our ability to relate our ability to respond because we have this big blinking siren going off in our periphery all the time and some of us are so addicted so fixated on our alarm clocks we carry them around with us all the time we just don't even know what it's like without them going on you know uh, our world is sort of famously um, full of noise. The idea of turning off your cell phone, not watching a television show, and just kind of sitting and being in silence 
is so terrifying to us because we've become addicted to the noise and to the sirens. Uh, it, it makes me laugh almost every time it happens. But, you know, I get into an elevator at our school here in New York and uh, we're on the fifth and the sixth floor. So it's the ele- and the elevators in the city go quick because we've got really tall buildings. It doesn't take very long. But if you walk in an elevator and there's another person in there, most of the time, actually, even when there's not another person, I- I'm very quick to pull out my phone. So is the other person. We just can't be there. Just be for just the few seconds it takes uh, to go up to the fifth or sixth floor. And and so this is the way, and so in the same way, we can sort of drag our emotions around and become uh, so used to the noise, so used to the siren that, that even the thing that might be driving us crazy, we're terrified to live without it. So we'll talk more about that later. But as we're defining what emotions are and, and sort of naming the reality of them, this is what emotions are like. They are like alarm clocks. And when your alarm clock goes off uh, in the morning, if you ignore that, you're going to have some problems. Um, If you pick it up and follow it around and and talk about your alarm clock all the time and it becomes the center point of your day, you're going to have very similar problems. So the second key thing about emotions, just in terms of defining what they are, is your emotions are based on values. So I said before in the alarm clock analogy, these things are, are... your emotions are going off and they're telling you that something important is is going on and needs to be addressed. That important thing is your values. So when your alarm clock, the alarm clock that is your emotions, when, when it's going off, what it's doing is saying, hey, something that matters to you is at stake right now. Uh, and that's an extremely valuable thing for us. It's an extremely valuable thing for our emotions to let us know like, hey, uh, stop just going through the motions here and pay attention to this because you need to figure this out because it's important to you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, And so our emotions are letting us know that that a value is being pressed. The problem with that is that your emotions don't really interpret very well. They just kind of let you know. They're just alarm clocks. They're um, They're not really reactive like responders. They don't tell you how to respond to your value. They don't even tell you specifically which value is being pressed. They just tell you that something's going on. And it can get really complicated here because we can feel a negative emotion even when um, a value is being pressed in a positive way. Or we can feel a positive emotion when a value is being pressed in a negative way. And so in order to properly handle our emotions, we have to move beyond them. In order to properly in order to properly use our emotions, we've got to bring other elements of ourself into the equation. Another way of saying that is that emotions are not adequate in and of themselves. What we need is is to bring in our thoughts. Uh, we need to even bring in our community. We need to bring in other parts of things to interpret what value is being pressed, uh, to choose our attitude and our perspective about that and respond in kind. Another one of my favorite metaphors when we're talking about emotions is the metaphor of a board, like the board that oversees an an organization. Your emotions are an important member of that board. They've got a seat at the table. Uh, They speak up quite often, as we've already mentioned, but they're not the board in and of themselves. They need to bring in the other members of the board to have a discussion about what's going on. They see things, emotions see things from a very focused perspective perspective. They have a very specific part to play in ourself. Uh, And that's not adequate. It's valuable, but it's not adequate. They need to bring in the other members of the boardroom. 
So why does all of this matter within an organization? Well, again, if all of us are feeling a myriad of emotions in any given day, if we don't have some tools to properly address our emotions, it can run awry in an organization very quickly. If we're not equipped to steward our own emotions, we're going to be a little bit of a mess. Imagine you, to use the alarm clock metaphor, imagine that you are walking, your alarm clock goes off, and instead of addressing it properly, you just don't know what to do with it, and, and you have to pick it up and carry it, and you don't know what to do. And it's loud and it's distracting and it's crazy. And then you walk into your workplace and the 50 people that you work with all have their alarm clocks going off at the same time. And it's asynchronous and it's loud and it's distracting. And there's this shared mission that you never get to because there's so much going on. Even to a smaller scale, you walk into the breakfast table with your family and everyone's got this very loud alarm clock that they're holding very close. It makes it very hard to hear one another. It makes it very hard to focus on uh, what you're trying to do to center around the shared mission uh, of what's going on. And again, what happens so often in a communal setting is if I come to the breakfast table and I'm holding my alarm clock and so is you know my wife and so are my kids, what I tend to do is I say, well, you turn that alarm clock off, it's getting really loud and distracting. We tend to point fingers. We tend to focus on how other people aren't handling their emotions well. So that can exacerbate a lot of these problems. We start making assumptions about why people are feeling emotions, what uh, value might be being pressed and what thing they should do. Whereas I said before, you know, people handle emotions differently. And so we take this whole web of emotional responses and, and struggles into a communal setting, it can get out of control really quickly. Uh, I, I think there's two kinds of people. There are the kinds of people where emotions are their first line of defense. It's the first thing that, that comes to them. It's how they express themselves. It's, it's it's how uh, they process information, right? It's the first line of defense. Uh, the other kind of people is where emotions are kind of the last line of defense, where if they're, you know, expressing uh, very visible emotions, uh, then it, you know you've gotten through some other layers that they've built up. But all of us, no matter which of those two you are, all of us are emotional creatures. And in order for value to be expressing itself, all of us are feeling emotions. And even within those two different kinds of people, there's a spectrum of expressiveness when it comes to emotions. And so all of this can complicate the way that we live and operate on a daily basis. And so what we can do within an organization is we can set a culture about how we respond to emotions and how we treat and how we approach emotions. So let me give you two examples of two hypothetical examples, not at all based on reality, about how an organizational culture can set a framework for the way that we approach emotions. The first example is a family where emotions are treated as shameful. We talk to college students all the time who've grown up in these kinds of environments where as soon as somebody is crying, uh, parents tell them like, you've got to shut that down, stop it. That's, you know, what are you crying for? Those kinds of things. Uh, in this kind of organizational culture, we treat emotions as problems that need to be solved. Uh, and the way you solve the problem of emotions is you shut them off. You 
stop it. It's just distracting. It's worthwhile. In the way that we framed the title of this episode, your emotions are idiots. They're not helpful. They're harmful, and there's no value in them. And in order for us to get to any sort of place of solution, we've got to cut your emotions off. And so when we create that kind of a framework as an organization, we don't leave room for people to feel what they're feeling. And that can become problematic. What we're basically saying is uh, ignore your alarm clocks. But people can't ignore their alarm clocks. It's like keeping a beach ball underwater. You can only do it for so long. Uh, It's going to pop its way to the surface. And when it does, the longer that you've kept it under, the higher it's going to shoot. And so that's one example of how an organization's culture can treat emotions. Uh, Another example is in a church setting where the church treats people's emotions as king, as everything. So how you're feeling becomes the idol, becomes the measuring stick for success, the measuring stick for goodness. And so every time somebody comes and says, I'm feeling upset about this, the church changes its um, its behavior, it changes its perspective, it changes the way that it communicates messages to try to, you know, accommodate for uh, for the upsetness of that of that singular member. And then when a, another church member comes and says, you know, I'm, I'm upset about this, then they change again. And, you know, a lot of churches, just like any other kinds of organizations, fall into this trap without realizing that they are. And, and I think even more than the upset thing, churches can often fall into the, the problem of reinforcing positive emotions uh, and thinking that that's the same thing as accomplishing their mission. So when people feel good about what's going on, churches can try to feed that, try to pursue that. And a lot of times, without even realizing that that's what they're doing. And so we've got these two stories, right? A a family that treats emotions as shameful and a church that treats emotions as king. And in both of those examples, organizational frameworks go a long way into informing how individual actors work within that organization how do individuals operate within that community. And so one of the great things that we can do within an organization is to provide a framework for the proper use of emotions and to say, look, uh, there's tons of room for self-expression, but this is the way that we as an organization are going to think about and going to treat emotions. And a lot of times, here's an example of a framework that an organization can adopt and communicate to its participants. Most of the time, I, I don't know if that's even fair to say, a lot of of the time, we operate under the framework of feel, act, think, right? So we feel our emotions and then we act in accordance to that emotion. And then afterwards, we think about whether or not it was the right thing to do. I'm sure that everyone listening to my voice right now has had a moment where they've sat down after doing something and thought, why did I do that? Why did I say that to him? Uh, Why did I do that in this particular setting? And a lot of times that's indicative of this framework of feel, think, act. And what that is, is a byproduct of an improper use of emotions. We feel our emotions and we respond directly to the feeling of the emotions rather than investigating and figuring out what value that emotion is pressing and acting based on the pressing of that emotion rather than on the emotion itself. You know, I tell this story all the time, but when Kylie and I first moved to New York City, we were watching the news every night. You know, I always dreamed of living in the city and it was really cool for me to just watch the news and and see what was going on and feel like a part of it. And one of the first stories that we saw was this woman who went to a bodega and wanted to get a hamburger. And man, she must have been 
having a bad day, but she she ordered like a hamburger at this bodega and they, they didn't have it. They were out of hamburger meat. And so this woman who I, I presumably live like just right next door, right above the bodega, went and got a baseball bat and came back and started just wailing on the exterior windows of the bodega. Just smashed it to, you know, the little spider webby pieces. Uh, and she got arrested. She was in jail. And I imagine her in jail that night thinking, am I really sitting in this holding cell because of a beef shortage? But that's the way that, that our emotions can get the best of us, to, to use a poor phrase. But that is an example of the feel, act, think framework. We're feeling an emotion and the emotion is telling us like, hey, you got to respond you got to do something about this. And so we jump into an action that's based on the emotion without really thinking critically about what emotion we're feeling, what the proper response is. Every emotion elicits a response. But the problem that we so often run into is that we tie the response directly to the emotion and not to the underlying value that the emotion is pressing. So as you can imagine, the better framework is to move from feel, act, think to feel, think, act. So essentially what this framework is doing is saying like, okay, you're feeling an emotion. Let's talk about why. Let's bring in the other members of the boardroom and let's have you know a discussion, even if it's an internal one, on what emotion is being pressed, why, why are you feeling the way that you are, and how can we properly respond to not the emotion directly, but to the boardroom discussion about the what the and all of this can happen very quickly. It doesn't have to be a three-day process. But within our organizations, we can communicate the framework of feel, think, act. When someone is going through strong emotions, when strong emotions are, are manifesting, we can encourage this balance between express that, but let's bring it into the board. Express that because it is valuable, but let's also bring it into the boardroom so that it can have this conversation in context so that you can figure out the best way to respond so that not only you, but we are engaging towards the mission in an effective way. One of the best tools that I've heard for dealing with emotions is with the acronym LID. Listen, investigate, decide, and then dismiss. And what LID does is, is it, it gives you permission to walk that balance between emotions where it's neither idle or idiot. It's not, neither something you dismiss completely or something that you hold on to and obsess over. And so LID starts with listen. You've got to pay attention. You've got to hear what your emotion. You've got to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. It is okay, even if you're feeling, you know, anger, even if you're feeling uh, deep sorrow, even if you're feeling these traditionally negative emotions, they are okay. They're not bad in and of themselves. Bible says in your anger, do not sin. It's not saying don't be angry. It's saying don't respond to your anger in a sinful way. And so so allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. Listen to that emotion. But instead of acting directly towards the what you're hearing, move to the eye and lid, which is investigate. Why am I feeling the way that I am feeling? What is so important to me about the way that I view the world, about what I what matters to me? What value is being pressed that is causing me to have this emotional response. And as you investigate, as you ask yourself those questions, then you decide, all right, how am I going to act now? How am I going to respond 
to this reality that I have all of a sudden become awakened to. And then dismiss your emotion. Allow, allow it to have served its purpose and to move on. I'm sure all of you have been through the kind of situation where you've got like um, something going on with a group of friends or something and you find yourself like talking to friend A about it and processing through it with friend A and then you go and you like process through it with friend B and you talk to a friend B and then you go back to friend A and you can I can't believe what friend B said about this and then you go to friend C and you talk about it and even after it's resolved we we, we want to just keep reliving it keep talking about it and part of that is a sign that something important is happening within us but it's also a sign that we haven't got to the we haven't given ourselves permission to let go and so on the front end we've got to allow ourselves permission to listen to our emotions but on the back end we've got to allow ourselves to let go of it to not hold on to the emotion itself, to realize that what's worth holding on to is the values that are, those emotions are pointing to, not the emotion in and of itself, and to be able to discern that difference and understand what the difference is. When we talk about the tools that, that we've talked about for building a organizational structure, we've talked about uh, the freedom V, we've talked about seeking and sharing the truth, we've talked about victim mentality and, and, the, and choosing your perspective. All of these things are going to invite within us an emotional response. And the reason for that is because all of these tools are getting at how to express our values and to use our values to catalyze us as individuals and as an organization towards a mission. That is an emotional journey. That's not just a mechanical process. It's something emotional. Kylie and I are here trying to pursue the expansion of our family because it matters to us, because it's important to us. We're not just here going through the motions uh, and rolling the dice and seeing what happens in a mechanical way. We're on an emotional journey. And within that, we're having to choose our perspective. We're having to navigate boundaries. We're having to do all of the different things that are a reality in in terms of what it looks like to build a healthy organization, but it's an emotional journey. So how each of us experience and respond to our emotions will go a long way toward building a healthy culture within our organizations. And although each person is responsible for their own emotions, how the organization celebrates or shames emotions will provide a framework that will make it either better or worse. <laughs> They'll make it either a little bit healthier or not. And, you know, we've talked about this in a, in a lot of personal settings, but this framework is helpful in a communal setting. Like if you think about a meeting with your work, again, we're all emotional creatures and emotions are, are always firing away. Um, and so we're going to be emotionally charged in meetings, especially if it's something that is important, especially if we're going after this shared mission that we've truly bought into. And so to have a framework of how we're going to approach emotions and how we're going to celebrate emotions without becoming addicted to them and how we're going to dismiss emotions at the end of the day without shaming them. To do that in a communal setting, to do that as an organization is really helpful. One of the things that I've heard is, I can't remember where I heard this, but it, it's a framework for how to go about brainstorming. And so what I heard is this, this organization that when there's a brainstorm, 
they have somebody who writes up all of the ideas that come out early on on like a whiteboard or or onto a big piece of those giant post-it notes they have. Um, But the idea is to get everything onto this like third place that's not me or you. It's something that is external. And so the synergizing becomes very visually representative by this whiteboard full of ideas. And so when we come back to all of the ideas and say, I really like this one or I'm not sure about this one, it's easier for us to do that in a way that is we're talking about the ideas, not about like the individuals who presented the ideas. And we're not responding directly to individuals, we're responding to the ideas. And even that in and of itself is a great framework to help to kind of depersonalize or maybe demystify the emotions that come with, oh, they're rejecting my idea, they're rejecting what I have to say. And so there's a lot of these kinds of practices that we can do to help set up a framework for encountering emotions individually and collectively. But ultimately, what the proper use of emotions invites us to do is to set up a framework within our organization that allows for emotional creatures to express themselves, to experience their emotions, and to make the best choices possible for themselves and for the mission of the organization. Because if we don't provide a framework within a community for emotions, then individuals are going to come in with the inherited frameworks that they have. I mean, they're going to do that anyway. So in a lot of ways, even if you set up a healthy framework within an organization, you're having to battle or or at least acknowledge uh, the inherited frameworks from previous organizations that each individual is going to come into. It's going to come into the organization with. But if we're talking about what it looks like to build a healthy structure for an organization, we've got to consider emotions and consider how people uh, experience emotions, why people experience emotions, and how we can set up our people to encounter their emotions in a meaningful way and to use the encounter with emotions as a catalyst towards the mission for their lives and for the organization to which they belong. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.